Are You Just Watching is supported by our dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Tim Martin, Craig Hardy, and Richard French for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash watching. Are you just watching episode 55, Interstellar, part one? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And boy, if we got a movie to discuss on this episode, <laughs> probably another two episodes. At least. <laughs> so get ready for Interstellar because we're going to be talking about it for a while. I mean, you were the one that originally suggested we do this movie over a year ago. I think it was on our yeah. original list. And I just never got around to watching it until very recently. Yeah, I saw it uh, I saw it when it came out in November of 14. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was uh, shortly after I had signed on to start doing the podcast with you. As a matter of fact, I think it was before we even had recorded our first podcast mm-hmm. and uh i went in and i took notes and i scanned them in and everything and i <laughs> i had the chance to review them before i uh watched the movie again uh-huh. uh in preparation for recording today's episode and holy moly <laughs> <laughs> this movie is full of itself. Yes, it is. And, I, you know, I'm kind of glad we didn't try to do this as a initial, um, sh- you know, while it's still in the theaters, because there was no way I would have gotten down all of the quotes that I want to use and, and, <laughs> and talk about. The, you know, the weird thing is, is that when I watched it the second time for notes, because I always watch it first time just for enjoyment. And when I watched it the second time for notes, I was actually stopping it with the captions on so I could copy down the quotes. I was, too. <laughs> Makes it easier when you've got closed captioning on. Oh, yes. Yes. I love closed captioning. Um, But yeah, there's just a ton of stuff to talk about. And right off the bat, this is not a Christian movie. This is definitely humanistic all the way. And that's why there's so much to talk about, because their worldview is so distorted. (laughs) It's so empty. Empty. Yes. Incomplete as well. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot to talk about, but initially, I'm assuming you like the movie initially. Uh, yes, I, I do. I do like Interstellar, particularly from a science geek standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they worked hard at getting the science as close to correct as they could. <laughs> it was very and, well acted. It had great effects. I mean, oh yeah. Um, I I actually have a problem with some of their science, but I, I understand where you're coming from. Right. No, no, from from a purely uh, science fiction, secular science viewpoint, they they worked hard at, at taking out all the evolution stuff when I'm I'm thinking, you know, how the black hole would look <laughs> and uh stuff like that. Yeah. Though even Or the wormhole, not the black hole. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, the wormhole. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh I I had some issues with you know, some of the things they did with their ship, um, but we can talk about that in okay. just a bit. Um, but yeah, it, it had um, it had some great effects. It had it, it tried really hard to feel real. So I think that that was um, 
gave it a good atmosphere. Yeah, this is uh, there's this difference in science fiction between hard science fiction and you know space opera, mm-hmm, right? And uh, whereas uh, Star Wars is a space opera, this was definitely hard science fiction, mm-hmm, right? Right, and uh, and. Emphasis on fiction. (laughs) Emphasis on fiction, yeah. Now, one of the things that really added to this movie, and I think probably more so than it does to some movies, and we always talk about soundtracks, but the Hans Zimmer score for this really added drama. I think it just... It was amazing. I mean, it's like the um, right off the bat in one of the very first scenes, the organ just hits this chord and holds it, and it just—it was just a high drama, and mm-hmm. and and it's like that through the whole movie, where the it's it's not just that it adds atmosphere; it's that it it adds drama to scenes that isn't there without the music. Yeah, it, it builds it builds uh, viewers and listeners' expectations along mm-hmm. with the the action on the screen it it meshed so perfectly Mm -hmm. yeah and i even noticed when i was just listening just to the soundtrack how there's this clock ticking like when they they land on the the world with all the water um the miller planet and Mm -hmm. and as soon as they land the music kicks in with this clock ticking rhythm just to let you know that they're on the clock the time is ticking away and and I didn't even realize that that was part of the soundtrack until I listened to the soundtrack by itself. And I'm like, ah, that's how they added all that tension in there. Just that, that ticking clock, you know. I, I don't think I noticed it when yeah. I watched the movie. I'm going to have to go back and listen to just the soundtrack now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was actually a couple different um, pieces in the score had that clock ticking rhythm. And it just it added that urgency to the scenes that fit so well. I'm going to play a little bit of the score here so people can understand what we're talking about. music uh i if if there's anything about this movie that i can rave about it'll be the music (laughs) overall i think the movie was fairly clean what do you think there was some there was some really bad words the language uh, the language stood out to me um but uh, as much as the language stood out like a sore thumb to me Mm -hmm. um the the concepts that they were swearing uh, over (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it was that one that bugged me so much more, particularly during the second viewing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, during the first viewing, I was just sort of sitting back and enjoying, mm-hmm. uh, even though I was taking notes, I was enjoying the film and taking it all in the first time. This time I was watching it with a much more critical eye and mm-hmm. wow, talk about feeling like I was being preached to by Richard Dawkins. Is that his <laughs> yeah. name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was, there was violence in the movie, but there was not that I recall anyway. I don't believe there was any sexual content of any sort, not even no. in the window. Uh, it was very clean that way. Um, yep. So other than the language and the situational violence, um, this movie was fairly clean. Of course, it was PG-13, so yeah. um, you would expect it to be um, mostly palatable. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, I did have some some just some general things that I had problems. They were questions that I wrote down while I was watching the movie. Um that I don't think were actually answered. Um, the biggest one I thought was the whole idea that the earth is failing and the plants are all dying and we have to leave to survive or we're going to suffocate or starve, you know, our, our two options. It's like, we know how to live in artificial environments. Why didn't they just go into hydroponics and move indoors? Mm-hmm. You know, build Disney's been and, doing it for 30 years. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like the, the plants clean the air. They're great filters and uh, all you need to do is just close out the what was it the nitrogen environment that was thri- thriving this the mm-hmm. stuff that was killing the plants the, the blight yeah the blight yeah um, so yeah it just seems to me that that wasn't really well thought out it's like they had to come up with some premise to save the species and get off the planet but it didn't work in my opinion they, they needed a boogeyman yeah they needed something to drive them off the planet and being Make- unable to feed everyone. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, suffering, uh, uh, threatening them with suffocation. Mm-hmm. That was the boogeyman for the movie. And, and I understand, you know, the literary aspect or the creative liberty aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was really lacking in a bunch of logic. Yeah, there was it was very illogical. And it seems to me like that they they avoided the whole, you know, apocalypse with nuclear because that's where everybody else goes and they didn't want to be predictable. But at mm-hmm. the same time, that is really about the only thing that could drive us off this planet. It is a very beautiful, ideal planet, and we can talk about that as a subject later. But just it's the whole— just right. Yeah. But the, the logic of what they chose to say that we had to abandon the planet, it just doesn't—logically, it didn't. Logically, it just didn't hold together. And, uh, and that bothered me from the get-go. Um, what did you think about that drone that just happened to fly over his pickup? Yeah, it's. I actually I saw your question, and uh, uh-huh. I <clears throat> I don't think that a drone that has been in the air for ten years is at all far fetched anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at drone technology now that can stay aloft with solar power or mm-hmm. with um, uh, fuel cells for. A decade wouldn't be that difficult. Um, I wouldn't think it would be like a predator type drone. I would think it'd be something lighter than air or mm-hmm. the like. But uh, they, I think they needed to use a predator type drone to give it the right feel. Um, and frankly, chasing a hot air balloon through a cornfield just doesn't have the same. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have the same tension, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that and you know, it didn't bug me when I watched the movie the first time. It was only the second time around. I was like, "But where did it come from?" Yeah, <laughs> that just kind of they've they've 
you know, pretty much lost all their technology and stuff, and and suddenly this drone just appears out of nowhere. And you um, know, when the, when it's going down the second time, I'm watching it. I'm thinking, wait a minute, the drones are falling out of the sky, but the GPS network is all still active more than ten years down the road. <laughs> well, I guess the drones would be, well, the satellite network would be above the gravity. But they would still, I mean, and they're solar powered too, so I don't know. I mean, they're outside of the Yeah, the but it, they, the they still have be. to have their orbits adjusted mm-hmm. daily, it must or they, be. Or they'll decay, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to think about there um, that, once again, doesn't make, make any logical sense. But um, the big one that really bugged me was endurance, the the hmm. whole spin on the endurance. and. I understand that when we originally went to space, there was this whole idea that we would have to create gravity. Right. Um, the original, the original space stations were, you know, we always dreamed up we're all, you know, rotating to create gravity. Yeah. Um, but we have long since. I mean, we've had space stations up for quite a while now, and we've learned that we don't really need gravity in space. Um, for the comfort of the astronauts or anything. I mean, they can even exercise in zero G. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other issue is, is that the the spin on the endurance is counter to the propulsion. So the way they showed it spinning was it was spinning on one rotation and then pushing on a tangent from that. Yeah. And so the the propulsion, the actual push of, of speeding up and slowing down that would create weight going when you're speeding up on one side of the ship and when you're slowing down on the other side of the ship, and that would be counter to the spin. So that would just completely mess up the gravity <laughs> on the ship yeah, anyway. Yeah, it would, it would create a, a huge drag on the uh, the propulsion forward. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So th- that whole thing just seemed kind of re- – and they made such a point of it. It was like the one astronaut getting sick because they were spinning and all of that. It's like they made such a point of saying, look, we're spinning, and look, we're going to shut off the spin and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I was just like – was that even necessary? I mean, they probably could have cut twenty minutes out of the movie just by getting rid of that whole thing. You know, you know why they probably put it in, hmm. so they didn't have to film too many zero G scenes. Ah, yeah, because that is hard to do to film in in under gravity. Yeah, yeah, it's the other way uh, of creating gravity. Of course, is to create one G or uh, about one G worth of gravity just in thrust. Hmm. Um. But I don't know, you know, in the in the context of the mathematics of the trip that they were doing. I think they went to uh, Mars and used gravity around Mars to slingshot to Saturn or something like that. No, it looked like they just went straight to Saturn because all they well, said was, uh, "Yeah." Ex- except Coop uh, Coop reviews the the course with SARS at one point. Is it SAR? Is it SARS? Tars. 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 Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. SARS is an illness. <laughs> <laughs> SARS. <coughs> um, and I'm pretty sure they mentioned Mars in there, but it, it it's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I think they were just doing it to uh, to make the gravity scenes easier. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. But the thing is, is like I said, is that propulsion would create gravity, so yep. you wouldn't even need the spin. As soon as the ship starts forward, they would have gravity. In the direct in the direction they were going, would be the direction they would would be going would be up. Correct. And the, the direction right. they were coming from would be down. 
Yeah. But they have to maintain the thrust, which means constant acceleration. Mm-hmm. But um, they were going to sleep anyway. Yeah. So and they were as soon as they went the to voyage. sleep, why even bother maintaining gravity? Right, exactly. And they slept through all the voyage. And Tarzan was, I guess, controlling the Case. ship. Case, yeah. Case or Tars, one of them was. So, yeah, it, the whole thing just seemed like a wasted space in the movie to me because <laughs> it was even inaccurate. <laughs> I wonder – no, I don't think this was based on a book. I was wondering, you know, was it based on a book where – they got it wrong in the book. <laughs> yeah, this was this was the mode of thought at the time of the book, like mm-hmm. you know when Larry Niven wrote Ringworld. But it's I don't believe it was. Yeah, hmm. I don't remember seeing based on anywhere. Yeah. But who knows? What about you? Did you have um, any unanswered questions, things that you wanted to just in general bring up? Yeah, it's. I I really enjoyed the acting. Uh, I'm a big fan of Anne Hathaway. I'm a moderate a fan of Cooper. Yeah. Um, a big fan of uh, Michael Caine. You know, they had good name. Oh, John Lithgow is one of my all time favorites. So they had plenty of big names, and I enjoyed the acting. But uh, there uh, there were inconsistencies for me in character motivation. That sort of stood out like a sore thumb as the movie went on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the second time I was watching it, I realized that Murph and Amelia were sort of the same character um, in two different places. Uh, at the start of the movie, Murph is the starry-eyed dreamer. Mm-hmm. And she becomes a hardcore scientist. And uh, when you first are introduced to Amelia, she's a hardcore scientist who, when confronted with uh, the secret that she's in love with one of the other scientists, becomes the starry eyed mm-hmm. dreamer all of a sudden. <laughs> and I just I felt like that was um, a bit inconsistent. Yeah, uh, I did. I did. And I mentioned at the start, I, I liked how they tried to make the science accessible mm-hmm. uh you know accurate in as much as you're able to present it in this media mm-hmm. um uh, and i i still didn't like i i didn't like the end <laughs> yeah it it seemed a little bit um deus ex machina without oh, god <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> So what that would just be ex machina. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, isn't there a movie called that? <laughs> I know there's a computer game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that they were almost assuming God without God, and that's kind of difficult. And I, I definitely want to discuss that further because I think that, yeah. that is an error in the worldview that we can – Yeah, it, and I want to say I don't think they were assuming no God. I think they were going – the other way entirely and saying man becomes his own God. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. But there's some errors in that worldview that I want to discuss, but we can get back to that Are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) One or two, maybe? Maybe just a few. (laughs) Um, I wanted to go back to your statement about Murph real quick, because I really feel like 
um, you know, the, the point that you make where she goes from starry eyed to hardcore. And I think that part of that is the absence of her father. She felt betrayed by him leaving her and, and she was definitely a daddy's girl and I can understand that being one myself. Yeah. She was a tomboy too. Yeah. And, and to have your father just walk out, even when you were pleading with him to stay, um, that just, I think that really developed her personality. So I think that her change was definitely, uh, believable. Um, Uh, and I, I see the point that you make about brand though. Yeah. Uh, And the stay thing was one thing that did actually bug me. And I think it was because I missed something and I managed to miss it in both viewings. (laughs) But why did he start his communication with the word stay when he already knew what came next? Yeah, but I think it was if you look um, and of course, we're just kind of talking about this all topsy turvy because this is the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he, he, I think that he went through a series of how do I communicate with her when he was in the black hole because that initial um, pushing the books out and making stay um, was him thinking, mm-hmm. I can just undo all of this and stay with my little girl. And that was his first communication with her. And then Tars appears with the data and that was when he realized yeah. oh by the way i think i can communicate this to her and that was when they kind of worked out together between him and tars that he couldn't change the past that he couldn't go back and change the past it had already happened he had to affect the future yeah it, this is uh this is a problem with all time travel movies mm-hmm. for me i had the same problem with looper which i really enjoyed um it, it's at some point, it seems like the characters just give up on their prior knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the script says, okay, forget everything in scenes one through four here. <laughs> because Coop knew that he started with stay, but ended with, uh, not ended with, but at some point got to the where he gave the coordinates. And that wasn't even the end of it, because the end of it was him giving yeah. him the data in the watch. So, Which he didn't know when he right. left. Because that was that was the point where he stopped effect trying to change the past and moved it up to let's affect the future. Let's from the present yeah. on. And uh and I and, and I like the way they sandwiched those scenes so that you really felt the urgency of her being in the room and waiting on him to put that data into the watch. And even though mm-hmm. they were two completely different things the way they sandwiched those scenes together, you were like, "Get it in there! Don't leave the watch!" You know. <laughs> so, I... did it? Did it seem to you like Tars had an unusually uh, complete set of knowledge regarding what these super beings were doing? Well, you, I think it was almost a discussion between them because some of those lines were actually Cooper's lines. You know, where he, where he was saying, "Oh, this is us in the future." Um, and that kind of thing. So I I think it was almost a discussion between them and they kind of worked it out together. Um, but it's, it's still kind of weird because like, that's the first thing that they would think about when they're stuck in this tesseract in the middle of a black hole. Yeah. Uh, Was I the only one who had a problem with the crossover there with Marvel? They got stuck in the Tesseract. I sort of expected Loki to come out. <laughs> bad joke? Yeah, bad joke. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> as soon as they said Tesseract, I thought, oh, Avengers. 
Well, it does have a meaning beyond comic yeah, book yeah, science. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Multidimensional, uh, <laughs> fractal existence, yada, yada, yada. Yada, 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 yeah. Fluffy uh, shirt. <laughs> well, that's kind of a good overview of what we liked and disliked about the movie, but I, what would you like to talk about first? Is there anything that... You want to dig into deeply first. Uh, you know, I, I I think the first thing that I would like to get into is the more general sense of how, uh, <laughs> and there's no easy way to put this, God is completely absent. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it, it's, it, it is not even representative of... Uh, a conceivable future, American future, mm-hmm. um, where nobody is, nobody has God in their life. There's no evidence. That, and we were talking before we started recording. Mm-hmm. The only evidence of anything from Scripture that I that uh, uh, came up was a reference to Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no prayer before meals. There's no uh crucifix jewelry there's nothing mhm and it just that's a nightmare to me <laughs> yeah. i can't imagine facing the tri- the trials that they're facing without any kind of spiritual f- dimension any faith yeah yeah. I, yeah and the thing is is that in a in a situation like that um, where they, they've really reduced the population down to its bare minimum and then they're just surviving, that is that would be where faith would thrive. And, I mean, if there was any reference anywhere to faith, it would, it would be thriving in those communities because that's when people turn to God. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's why Christianity thrives so much under persecution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. It, it's it's a gaping hole um, in the movie, and and it's interesting that then they at the same time they kind of pull into this this they that seems to be uh, intervening and communicating and trying to push them to do things, and that's all they do is they just call it they. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and the characters don't ever seem to question the existence of they. Mm-hmm. Until the very end of the film, where Coop figures thinks he figures out who they is. <laughs> who they is? <laughs> but that somewhere there's a grammar a grammar cop going. Oh, that's a citation right there, buddy. Yeah. Well, let's play a quote about that so that okay. we can give text context. But something sent you here. They chose you. Who's they? We started detecting gravitational anomalies almost 50 years ago. Mostly small distortions to our instruments in the upper atmosphere. But of all these anomalies, the most significant is this. Out near Saturn, a disturbance of space-time. At a wormhole? It appeared 48 years ago. And it leads where? Another galaxy. A wormhole is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. Someone placed it there. They? Mm. And whoever they are, they appear to be looking out for us. 
somewhere in their fifth dimension they saved us Yeah, I think that's funny, and especially when they start talking there at the end about like being in the fifth dimension that they saved us and mm-hmm. um and I you know, I think it's it's this situation where salvation has to come from somewhere and and it's like uh the the atheist the humanist doesn't want to believe in god so they're going to turn it and turn god into some amorphous they and yeah it, i mean they're they're literally witnessing miracles right uh a, a pattern of dust forms on the floor that happens to be uh, coordinates to a secret military base in Colorado or wherever it was. Mm-hmm. And what is his daughter? But the first thing they go is to goat. isn't a supreme being. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, cause they've, they've excluded the supernatural. So where, where, what it must it be then? It must be somebody from the fifth dimension trying to communicate with us. Right. And, and that actually ties back to why why I feel like it was a uh, they were picturing a reality without God in it mm-hmm. because they never even discuss the possibility that it's supernatural. Right. Um, never it, even it, comes into their mind. Right. <laughs> Coop automatically. Uh, yes. Murph uh, in her starry eyed dreamer phase refers to it as a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um. But, but the, it, you learn later that that's not even – it wasn't even scary ghost. It was just something ghost. she na- Yeah, something to name yeah. it. Yeah, because she thought it was, had personality. It was an individual, and so she called it a ghost. Yeah, and, and I thought that was interesting because that's where that whole discussion comes up. You said science is about admitting what we don't know. She's got you there. Or if you want to talk science, don't just tell me that you're afraid of some ghost. No, you got to go further. You got to record the facts, analyze, get to the how and the why, then present your conclusions. Deal? Deal. So even in this situation where um, she's she's addressing something that sounds somewhat supernatural, everybody's mocking her. And it mm-hmm. turns into a discussion of, well, how can you prove this scientifically? And... Yeah. And, you know, that ties back into the whole reason she got in the fight at school. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that it's We both wrote that quote down. It's an old federal textbook. We've replaced them with the corrected versions. Corrected. Explaining how the Apollo missions were fake to bankrupt the Soviet Union. You don't believe we went to the moon? I believe it was a brilliant piece of propaganda that the Soviets bankrupted themselves, pouring resources into rockets and other useless machines. Useless machines. And if we don't want a repeat of the excess and wastefulness of the 20th century, then we need to teach our kids about this planet, not tales of leaving it. So it's the idea, it's like the scientific method has taken place of faith. Right. In the existence portrayed in this film. 
excuse me, movie. Yeah. And, and, you know, that whole textbook thing, I even thought about that as just the, the, the dumbing down of education, which we see it. We even happening in our government schools today. It's like you select what you want people to know, and then you Mm -hmm. change the curriculum in order to fit that worldview or that um, view of history or whatever. And, and you force it on people and you're basically telling them lies because um, what they're doing there is, is, and and that's why Coop kind of gave his daughter permission to be misbehaved there is that it was, (laughs) you know, Hey, she's got the truth. You guys are trying to make her, her believe lies and I'd rather her believe the truth, you know? Uh, I got the impression that the teacher really believed oh, yeah. that she definitely, the thing was faked. Yeah. And she was very young. You noticed how young she was. And, oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that was that whole presenting truth as or presenting, presenting lies as truth, <coughs> hiding the truth in order to uh, like they, they were they had a purpose there. They wanted to present or preserve this caretaker mentality and, and you know, lose the the scientific mind. And which is very weird in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> when, when the world is destroying itself, that's when you want to have innovators. You want people to be able to think beyond survival. It wasn't is it necessity is a mother of invention? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> no, necessity is a mother of fertilizer. <laughs> what? Come on. Yeah, that just that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Of course, they explain that a little bit in the discussion that Coop has with um, the older Dr. Brand. Well, when they realized that killing other people was not a long-term solution, then they needed this back in secret. Why secret? Because public opinion wouldn't allow spending on space exploration. Not when you're struggling to put food on the table. I, I somewhat get that, but... <laughs> I think I, I came away with the impression, at least after the first viewing, maybe after the second that the population of the planet had exceeded its capability to produce food. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they, they muddy the water, even they muddy that water by throwing in the blight. And uh, I mean, can you imagine having an entire population eating okra <laughs> and corn? Yeah. Okra and corn. That's it. Uh, it's, and I, I do appreciate that the entire world's population is reduced to eating strictly American crops. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, and and like I said, there was a solution to that that they completely missed because a good bit of our food nowadays comes out of season. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's raised in greenhouses and other forms of of uh, forced growth. And we we don't need uh, granted we we are the breadbasket. I mean, we have this these great plains and we actually right. pay farmers not to raise crops on them because we don't want to glut the market. <laughs> but at the same time, a lot of our other foods like fruits and vegetables are raised uh, out of season and forced growth and and uh, yeah. and there's no reason they couldn't have moved something like that into a protected environment and kept go kept doing it mm-hmm. so that just brings it back to what I think is a major fall- fallacy in in the whole premise of the movie <laughs> yeah it it sort of ignores the history of uh world war one and world war two mm-hmm. how the industrial machine pulled together in such uh remarkable um strength mm-hmm. during uh the lead up to world war two in particular and during the war um 
and innovation was everywhere. I mean, they we had more technology jumps in 38 through 45. We had nuclear power or we had the, the atomic weapons then. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reality of, of interstellar, they're facing this huge crisis. And what do they put their engineers to doing? Oh, growing corn and automating combines. Yeah. And and it sounds like a lot of the the computerized uh, and um, you know like satellite technology and that kind of stuff they were asked to like drop bombs because there was that one comment to Dr. Brand about um, you know what happened to you after the last I heard about you was when you refused to drop bombs on you know in this mm-hmm. other country and so uh, they made it sound like they they discarded all of our technology because it was too warlike and. Anything has, you know, something that can be used for war can also be used for good. So <laughs> it's all tools. It's all uh, tools. Yeah. It, you can kill a guy with a hammer just as easily as you can kill a guy with a knife or a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are also can be used. You know, knives can cut things up that you need cut up and very actually very useful survival tool without knives. Yeah. It'd be really hard um, to to survive and hammers as well. And even guns have utility as well so yeah um everything can has has a dual purpose you can use it for harm or you can use it for good so to discard an entire uh part of science just because it could be used for war would would not make any kind of logical sense whatsoever especially yeah, when you need everything to survive uh when when i was uh working on my notes that put me in the thought of uh um what Paul says about the the body of Christ, mm-hmm. and um, it's a really long scripture, so I'll put I'll put it into the show notes. Right, uh, but it's it's the part where uh, he proposes uh, the foot should say, uh, "Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body," uh, but that would not make it any less uh, a part of the body, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what. It, all the working how all the parts of the body work together um is the same way that our society works mm-hmm. we just couldn't exist without our engineer we couldn't have the type of existence that we have without our engineers yeah and without our farmers and <laughs> everybody has you know, a good place yeah a place our in- bankers and lawyers even mm-hmm. you know i think we could do it- without lawyers <laughs> They all serve uh, a specific purpose in our society. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not all of them are good, but they serve a purpose. And the the reality of of interstellar, it just serves that all out. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, uh, even in my notes, uh, Coop and and Murph go for this multi-hour drive when they go looking for the the, uh, coordinates. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking... I wonder where they got the gas. <laughs> yeah, they never mentioned like a, a a fossil fuel shortage or anything. Of course, he's running his whole farm on pretty much solar power or yeah. fuel cells. But yeah. But you don't see any on the truck. And do I also wondered. No, and and you know the other thing was even the tires because they remember when he blew the tire and yeah. his his son said that was the spare. You know, and then I'm like, um, well, where do they get new tires? I mean, where, where's the tire manufacturing? Because even those mm-hmm. big you know, farm machines have really big tires on them and those don't last forever. And yeah, it, it's, it seems like the economy would have collapsed long before they got to this, 
the state that is presented in the movie, mm-hmm. even in my mind, and I'm no economist, nor did I play one on TV, <laughs> but even in my mind past uh, the barter phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hunter-gatherer almost. If they were yeah. that desperate um, just to feed people, um, I think a lot of the whole organization of the things would have just completely fallen apart. Um, I also think that human uh, – the sinful nature of humanity would have been uh, more prevalent. You wouldn't have seen you know, ball games going on like that <laughs> if such a crisis were going on. There would be mobs, people yeah. – and looting. People would be stealing from each other because you know they – there wouldn't be enough food to go around, and so people would be um, stealing from each other. They're, they wouldn't just be packing up and moving out of towns. They would – I mean the people would be like falling to their lowest form in, mm-hmm. in just the whole organization of society. And, and I think that that's also just shows an error in humanist thinking because they think at heart ba- man is basically good. And mm. so they don't see um, how circumstances can bring out – the bad in people. They think that bad people are just for some reason bad, that it's, it's something that, that some sickness or disease in them that can be trained out of them because at heart man is born good. But that's the contrary view to the, what we're taught in scripture that the heart is deceitful and wicked and, and that man at his lowest form without God is going to be really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and it, bad it's, circumstances. It's selfishness. Yeah, selfishness. And um and so yeah, I don't see people working so peacefully together in order to to feed a population. I think that it, it would all fall apart. I mean it would it would turn into mobs and, and all kinds of stuff. You know, people would be living inside compounds. They wouldn't have farmhouses out in the middle of nowhere where they don't lock the doors. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's I, there's a lot of you know suspense of disbelief that they, they have to set up um, mm-hmm. quite a bit to create the circumstance that they want, right? Um, and again, well acted, very well acted movie, mm-hmm. um, and the the cinematography, the the soundtrack, all very enjoyable, right? So, it, you know, as much complaining as I'm doing about the yeah, the nitpicking here. <laughs> it almost sounds like we don't like the movie, which we yeah. did like it. It was just one of those situations where we see a lot of the problems with it. And mm-hmm. and their problems worth mentioning because there, it, it's just something that um, that if 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 you're not watching with your critical thinking on, you can just accept some of that and it can affect the way. Um, you think of things, but you don't want to just sit through a movie blandly and not think about um, some of this stuff. And so, you know what? We have a ton more to talk about. I think we'll wrap this episode up and uh, tune into another one. What do you think? We didn't even make it a third of the way. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy. There's so much. And I want to make sure that we, we kind of leave these in bite-sized pieces so pe- we don't wear people out with this discussion. So anyway, um, we're going to wrap this up and come back to, I think, probably a discussion on uh, the topic of love in the in the movie, which had a very interesting 
Um, yeah, no I, God, but there is love. <laughs> love, yeah. Um, it's like this interdimensional force of some sort. And also um, the specialness of Earth, which we kind of mentioned at the yeah. beginning of this, but I, w- I want to you know, deal with it a little more. Um, talk a little bit about the evolution that's in this movie. And so, yeah, well, there's a lot more to talk about. So we'll, we're going to come back in another episode. Um, if you'd like to comment, um, do go to our show notes. The show notes for this episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 55. And uh, you can call us at 903-231-2221 or email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And don't forget to support us on Patreon. Oh, and of course... <laughs> Do visit us and follow us on Facebook, um, where we kind of like to start discussions if possible. So yeah. uh, definitely like us on Facebook. We actually post a lot of stuff on Facebook that never shows up in our feed. So if you're not uh, following us on Facebook, please do. And uh, um, do subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And check out some of, if you go to our our website, we have some promotion and supporting options uh, beyond Patreon. Um, we have um, some options where you can purchase things on uh, Amazon and we get a kickback from that. So there's some other ways that you can help out the podcast if you're not able to give financially on a monthly basis. So I believe that's it. Thank you for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.